Hey there, creatives. Thanks so much for your continued listenership uh, to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. Today, I am really excited to share. I know I'm always really excited to share, but really, no, I am. Um, I'm excited to share this conversation that I had with expressive, registered expressive arts therapist and licensed clinical social worker, Julia Varing, and um, she's doing amazingly cool stuff with video-based drama therapy techniques, green screen technology in the work with hospice clients and adults with neurocognitive decline. Um, And uh, I was just blown away. And um, I hope you enjoy this conversation and are inspired by uh, the way uh, she's uh, making some changes to the way services are delivered uh, for those, uh, the aging population of people. And um, yeah, I was so inspired by this conversation. So without further ado, The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm delighted to welcome my next guest, Julia Varing. She is a performance artist and musician, a licensed clinical social worker, and a registered expressive arts therapist based in Kansas City. She's integrated arts into social work for 20 years, centering her practice in joy, humor, imagination, and the strengths perspective. Varing began experimenting with video-based drama therapy techniques while working at nursing a nursing facility in 2004 and noticed that residents with dementia had increased agitation, increased spontaneous communication, and increased joy. I said increased agitation, it's really decreased agitation, which is what we're looking for. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but they had increased joy while engaging in the improvisation. The residents loved watching themselves in the movies they starred in, and she continued to hone this method, incorporating fill-in-the-blank scripts, green screen technology, and live performance participation via video projection. She's received grants from the Charlotte Street Foundation and the Andy Warhol Foundation for Visual Arts for her community-based performance work involving collaborations with older adults and people with neurocognitive disorders. Bearing tours and releases albums as Unicorns in the Snow, a performance art project that integrates interactive projections, stop motion animation, and original music. She's worked in hospice and long-term settings, long-term care settings for the last 17 years and opened her practice, Expressive Arts Therapy KC in 2022, serving children through seniors individually 
pediatric palliative care patients in their homes and groups in nursing facilities. Her expressive arts groups engage nursing facility residents in reimagining vintage movies and musicals through improvisational play. She became the first registered expressive arts therapist in the state of Kansas in 2023 and serves as the Kansas State Coordinator for the International Expressive Arts Therapy Association. She integrates expressive arts, psychodrama, and EMDR into her practice and is currently creating a workbook and film on performance art interventions for people with neurocognitive disorders. I'm so excited to talk with you today about your work. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Thank you so much for having me and your work in getting all of us creative people to know each other. Yeah. So I can't believe that you're the first registered expressive arts therapist in Kansas. Yes. This, this year. Yes. Like what's going on in Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need, we need more expressive arts therapists for sure. Yes. So, um, we have, I don't know how many art therapists or music therapists we have around, but, um, yeah, it's kind of the registered expressive arts therapist credential is a little more of a baby compared to some of the older ones. I think it was born in the 90s. So, mm. yeah, I I don't know. I guess I, I'm a Leslie grad. And oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, what? How is that possible? Right. This um, is the 70s. How does not everybody know about this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did you get started with like integrating drama and acting? Uh, was that something that you were doing outside of being a social worker? Um, and just like thought, hmm, let me check this out with my clients. Yeah, it started pretty early because as a teenager, I knew I wanted to be a social worker and an artist. And I thought photographer at first. And, um, Essentially, in college, I ended up doing an internship at a senior center, and that's because mm -hmm. I had worked with many different populations, and I thought, oh, I haven't really worked with seniors. I'll try it, and fell in love and started doing um, recording oral histories and composing music to them. I, I switched from photography to video and music and, and got really into learning about performance art and late 20th century composers and Lori Anderson and Morant got to see Miranda July live, who's incredible. Um, many discipline artist, <laughs> filmmaker and everything else. Um, and so I started out as a performance artist myself. And then when I worked in my first job being a activities assistant at a nursing facility out of college, um, I just thought, well, we've been doing the same thing. I, you know, I looked at the calendar when I got hired, I thought they have Pictionary on the calendar, like every night for the last 10 years. Like, I wonder if anyone else would want to do something different since yeah. I after all, and also <laughs> everyone's bored and there's only five people here. And so I thought, let's just do, let's make a movie night. And so I brought out the TV on the card and I brought my ad. I have an extension collection, of extensive collection of wigs. And um, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to bring some simple improv scenarios and let's just give it a whirl. We're going to video, we're going to just make the movie and play it right away. No editing, just plug it into the TV on the cart. And I was floored. Like, 
I was floored by, I already knew the residents, at least some of them pretty well and kind of knew what their baseline level of communication was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for some of them, it might be, you know, if I would ask them, what is your name? It would be quite a delay mm-hmm. and maybe, uh, and, and, um, so with one of these, uh, residents at that kind of level, I said, okay, you're going to a restaurant and you just realize you're on a date and you forgot your wallet. And he was like, well, let me go out to the car. And I was just like, like, I just went on and on. And it was like, per- made perfect sense. And then they brought in this other lady. She was screaming and they, um, there's sometimes, you know, you get someone that's causing a ruckus and they're like, let's drop them off in activities. And so <laughs> she was like, what am I doing? You know, she was in a, she had just moved in. She was like, they stole my apartment. What am I doing here? And a uh, poor woman. Aww. And so I said, okay, hold on you can we just take a second here you're a movie director and you just auditioned this woman and you have to tell her she didn't get the part and I swear like this she was like oh honey your hair is just all wrong I was like what and she didn't go back to screaming and so and then I you know it was this was an old camcorder this is like not fancy at all I think I was even borrowing my dad's camcorder I plugged it in I showed him the movie you know which had no editing and they were like wow the movie and so I kind of got sparked and inspired about this whole like what is the future of video technology and performance art and like what else is here and so at that level you know I was working a minimum wage job with a liberal arts degree (laughs) (laughs) the person you know I was the activities assistant which people were like why did you go to college for this job like are you crazy and um you know they said the next day when I came in after that first time my boss was like, everyone's talking about the movie thing, but we talked to the lawyers and you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do video anymore. And so it oh, kind of took, no. yeah. So it was like, okay, note to self, get another degree. And so it took like six, you know, I did still play with a lot of drama and improv and let's do a puppet show and, and do things that way. But it was kind of like, okay, I've got to get a few more. I got to get another credential and, and move myself up in the ladder so that I can do this, do this kind of work the right way and get permission and have enough, you know, credibility that I'm, Mm -hmm. um, about the intention of this work that I can actually make it happen. It's such an awesome story. And I think, I mean, that's really the emergence of all of our expressive arts disciplines, right? Somebody who has a deep connection with the art process brought it in a space, in a space where I think often humanity gets lost. Yes. And the arts reinfuse that into the space. And it really does wake people up Absolutely. in a different way. Absolutely. I, I talk about the dehumanization of our healthcare system. And I'm sure you've heard people say, you know, I'd rather die than go to a nursing facility. Yeah. And um, people aren't joking when they say that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a problem. It and is. I know why they say that. Of course. Um, but yes, and the reason I've, I mean, been able to continue to do this work and and kind of elevate it and get degrees and things and now get, um, do it at a level that's sustainable 
for me and that's um, recognized is, is my colleagues, my interdisciplinary colleagues, seeing the impact of the arts on our mm -hmm. hospice patients and on the residents and vouching for it. Mm -hmm. So are you a, are obviously you're doing green screen technology. So you are using film now in your work. Well, so let me say that until the pandemic, I was doing, I was working for a day program for people with early stage, early to mid-stage dementia. Mm -hmm. And in that program we had, um, so it was all green screen video work. And so they would come in, um, we would start each session by watching the edited version of what we had made the week before. And so again, people wouldn't really remember what, um, necessarily what we had done, just like mm -hmm. it was fun, but I don't really remember which, which show we did or what we did. Um, and so being able to re-experience that joy while mm -hmm. watching it. Um, yeah. and then also kind of like, well, where were we? Cause it's like, oh, there's these cool backgrounds. It's like, you know, we did footloose. So it was like, I used the background from saved by the bell. <laughs> so, <they're> <laughs> <just> <laughs> um, so, uh, Unfortunately, the green screen work has not picked up again, but I am doing mostly nursing facility work now without using video, although I am working on a film of, to document the work and hopefully get more people using intermodal expressive arts mm -hmm. with this population and for people to build off of it and play more. That's my goal. Oh, that's awesome. I I have such respect for what you're doing. I know it's hard to change systems and, um, and those systems really have a very um, closed box. <laughs> so to get, to be able to open it and get in there and start small and convince people like this is worth investing in because it's increasing these folks quality of life. And it's bringing them into the present moment where they can live and engage in meaningful ways. That's so powerful. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's essential, right? It's what makes life worth living. Yeah. And, and not only that, you know, but identity expansion, like there's these old models where we kind of like stop developing at 60. It's like, it's ridiculous um, that you can still have new experiences and expand and create new work mm -hmm. at that age with those conditions. It doesn't have to be doing all a sing along to Frank Sinatra, although I will do that at times. But let's make something new. Let's be Frank. Let's see what Frank would do. Like, let's, <laughs> let's not just listen. Let's become it. Let's. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that there's something that happens in those settings where um, there's, there's a sensory deprivation mm -hmm. that occurs in um, a nursing facility. And if, somebody's never worked in a nursing facility and spent a lot of time there, then they might not know. But even the decor of the space, it's really, really unappealing. <laughs> you know, it, 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 the access to the locations, if you're in a locked facility, you're kind of bouncing from one space to another, pacing a hallway I, mm -hmm. there. And 
we need sensory interaction. Um, Absolutely. Right. Of a variety of um, things. I think as uh, functioning, you know, adults out in the world where we're inside of our homes, we're outside of our homes, we're in different environments, we are experiencing a constant flurry of sensory information, which is important to our neural health. And then as soon as somebody is starting to experience this decline, it seems like that's really important to be bringing in that they are still being stimulated Absolutely. in these ways. And I can see how the work that you're doing, bringing in props and, um, and, and getting them to move and, and watch themselves on the screen, like all mm. of these things are really contributing to that stimulation that they wouldn't be getting. Yeah. And the sense of community. I had one of the residents, I was the facility a couple of weeks ago say like, Hey, and she's the resident council president. She's like, how often do we even know who each other are? Like when we're not doing this group, we don't talk to each other. We don't know each other. Like, so it's also community building. And, and I, you know, when I started as an activities assistant, it was like, well, the people on hospice they need one-on-one so I would go you know revolution on their hands and do dear Abby and all those things but um really there's I mean there's some reasons that clinically people need to are bed bound or something but Mm -hmm. for the most part not really um and so that same person that would be stuck in a one-on-one which means like more time in their room could come out and be in my group and even if they are non-verbal quote air quotes um they can absolutely be a part in a play and take care of the baby or be use the dog puppet or you know smile and mouth some words as I'm putting the microphone to their lips like all Mm -hmm. of those things but if we don't try we're not ever going to find out yeah so true so so true Um, it's easy to just say oh that person that person is mute or and not even give them the opportunity. I think that happens too with young people um, as well, right? Like, oh, well, you know, they stopped talking. So why are you asked, why are you inviting them to speak? I hear that from the, you know, the teenagers I work with who are um, on palliative care services about, yeah, the isolation and how they're treated, you know, as being like a wheelchair user, like, yeah, that it's, I mean, as if being a teenager wasn't isolating enough, period. And then to have that and then the pressure, the same pressure to have the certain body and all those things, you know, so yeah, there's, and we can't afford to do that, right? Like there's going to be in 2040, the number of um, one in five Americans is going to be over 65. By 2035, there's going to be more older adults than kids. So we can't continue to let like working with people with disabilities or older adults be kind of a fringe issue. Like in my master's level program for aging, you know, master's of social work, but aging, I think with 10 people, like we had the tiniest group, no one wants to study aging, Um, but it's so much fun and it can be new and creative and fun. And there's so much there. These, I mean, this work feeds my soul. Like it's, 
um, there, there's a lot of people that are overlooked that have so much to offer and we can't afford to just ignore that. Yeah. I, that, I know I've read that statistic somewhere, but just hearing you say it, it's shocking. Um, <laughs> and what does that mean? Cause I feel like, well, that's going to be me. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to be that aging person. <laughs> and, you know, are there, are there going to be people like you that are engaging us in meaningful engagement, meaningful interaction, uh, for self and, and connection with others? Um, yeah, because our approach to just, well, let's turn on the TV and yeah. um, everybody kind of gathers around the TV. It's so depressing. Yeah, it is. Very yeah. depressing. I'd rather be in Dirty Dancing than I did last <laughs> week. <laughs> I'd rather be pretending I'm Patrick Swayze. So <laughs> yeah, than watching a, yeah, TV. Absolutely. So how, like, how do you go about um, building the relationships with the different nursing facilities? And kind of, I, I'm sure there's an education process that you go when you're saying, okay, I'm going to partner with this facility to provide this service for them. Can you kind of walk listeners who might be interested in doing something similar um, like, what is that process like? And are there any um, suggestions for what they should prepare to present to the decision makers in those facilities? Yes, very good question. And I am very lucky right now in that. Um, so before I started my private practice, I was full-time employed um, by Kansas City Hospice. It's like the oldest hospice in Kansas City nonprofit. And um, I, as well, first as a social worker and then as an expressive arts therapist and started doing some groups in that role. And then, so basically once I decided I was going on my own, I had a lot of support from my team that were like, we still need Julia. We still need this expressive, <laughs> multimodal expressive arts work. Like we are, are this is the impact we see on mm -hmm. our patients' faces. We see them come alive. And so they advocated. So I turned that into, I have a contract with Kansas City Hospice and they fund and support the program. And we already have relationships with facilities. And some, you know, actually one of the facilities I was at this week, I used to work at, I worked at for three and a half years. So sometimes it's like, I already know people and it's a small world, but um. And so I just kind of put together a really simple one page piece of, you know, very colorful and fun with all the different characters I play, but also like, hey, this is what this program is. It increases joy, it increases communication, um, sense of community, sense of meaning. Um, this These groups are completely um, inclusive of all levels and abilities. Um, and uh, basically, yeah, these are the benefits for your residents. And at first they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I still, I, I, I'm being honest, I could still work on my spiel a little bit, but I explained, you know, I've been doing this work a long time. I'm a registered expressive arts therapist. I love this population. This is my jam. Um, and then 
it kind of builds like the first time I might come to a facility feeling like what and you know you get that like you just said you know well that resident can't do that part or like you, yeah he can't really that they can't do the thing and I just kind of politely smile and ignore what they say <laughs> just um, go, okay. go ahead and give them a role anyway and sometimes it can be a role that's the main role um it does so we're not trying to like recreate this world of exclusion where we're like okay and now that we have a small group the people that aren't as verbal also don't get parts here like, that right. is absolutely not the paradigm we're trying to recreate here um <laughs> and so then once they see like all the residents can do when I, they're like what they're like oh you're going to perform i'm like no the residents and i are performing for you like with each other they are playing parts they're like what and it's like <laughs> with my cart and um once they see what the residents can do and how they come alive and then they, you know, residents will talk to each other too. And then the groups will get bigger and um, people will remember like, oh, I played this person last time and I did this. Oh, I want the drums again. Or no, I want the baby doll. I want that puppet. I want that puppet again. And like I had it, you know, and it just grows and evolves. And as I get to know each you know, I'll learn each resident a little bit and know like what their strengths are. I know that, okay, that woman, is deaf and i had trouble um at a group not too long ago not trouble I, that's not the right word but i had um struggle connecting There's... at times i mean with uh in a group where she yeah i was trying to use like read reading my lips and anyway we weren't we were struggling and then last time i went in there i gave her the big puppet um this big huge puppet and she was just like oh look at her dance, look at her dance. And like, all of a sudden she was in the group through the puppet. She was completely in the group, smiling, looking at me, but also like pausing at times when it was appropriate and completely engaged, even though she could not hear what was happening and didn't know that we were necessarily doing dirty dancing. It didn't really matter, but she was <laughs> completely engaged in her role. And I had never seen her light up like that before. And I could just see watching staff watch her. Oh, just so... <laughs> powerful to watch like yeah she and then you know anyway it's so many magical moments every time oh I love it so yeah I guess okay my other I didn't really answer your question <laughs> <laughs> the activity director is usually the person you know every facility is mandated like um at least if they're a skilled nursing facility to have activities and have an activity director which has some qualifications so now whether or not they have one at the moment, that's another question. But so there's systems already in place at mm -hmm. all these places, some better than others. Um, and most of these places really need and want different things. I mean, more mm -hmm. things like they, you know, bingo only goes so far. So I think there's so much opportunity to, I would say also, you know, every facility has to have a social worker. So you could meet with the social work team because they're the ones that are really monitoring the residents, you know, psychological, mental health issues through this mandated assessments um, and all the screenings they need to do. So it's a win-win for everybody that they can, you know, if you have a, a, a program you want to bring in, like there, this is a, a, there's a lot of opportunities there. And if you get no keep going. Because even if you're offering, I hate to say this, even if you're offering something that is not costing the facility anything, many times you will still have to make many calls and track people down. It's not the most well-oiled machine. Mm. So, but 
don't despair. You will find like there is going to be, there's tons of facilities. You'll find one, you'll get the right activity director on the phone that here's what you're offering and can like, and knows the value. And it may not be every director. And even if they don't know the value, it's okay. The residents know the value when you get in there, even if the activity person walks away and doesn't see the whole thing because they're too busy, the residents give you the feedback you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, so connecting with the activities director and the social work department mm-hmm. and providing them with some education about yeah. how um, expressive arts therapies can connect and waken the lives of the residents uh, yes. so that they're engaged in their day, um, which I think facilities want to see that. Yes, in theory. <laughs> no, they do. They do. They do. It's just not always knowing how to do it. And I will mm-hmm. say like on facilities behalf, I do not want to be saying anything about, I mean, with especially, you know, facilities funded by Medicaid, which pays less than it requires to take care of somebody. Um, It yeah. is just not, it's a broken system. It's a really bad system. Yeah. So it's a really difficult system to work in. And there's a lot of um, equity issues with the way certified nursing um, aides are paid and Mm-hmm. Oh, but the work, you know, they're doing backbreaking work. Yeah. Um, and the oh, activities sure. assistants typically um don't get offered a lot of education on mm. well, really, I'd say some facilities do a good job, most probably don't do the greatest job. Mm-hmm. Um so there's there's just real opportunity there. Yeah, and important. Um, it's important work too. Yeah. I I living in Southwest Florida, there's an assisted living facility or skilled nursing facility, like every block, everywhere you go, right? There's so many, our aging population is large and, um, and the need is there for sure. And I know that, you know, that's not just here. I mean, we have a lot of retirees here, but right. Everywhere. And I was, this other stat was like, what is it? The number of adults age 85 and older, the group most often needing help with personal care and client in the nursing facilities will quadruple from 2000 to 2040. So the old, old, you know, in gerontology, there's like old, 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 I'll just call it like different types of old. Cause you know, a 60 year old and a 90 year old, but that's a different generation. That's not, mm-hmm. so these, these groups too, I mean, the people that live in these facilities, it's a, it's a heterogeneous, this is not like, and depending on the facility too. So I know, you know, for one facility, dirty dancing is going to work better than pajama game or whatever, just based on the age, the demographics, um, all those things. So mm-hmm. Yeah. You must have a excellent survey of like soundtracks in your mind for all of these different generations of people. Yeah. And with, you know, uh, technology, it's like, what do you want to hear? Like they can pick. So (laughs) yeah. If the, if they, you could, do you want to do this song or this song, you Mm -hmm. know, which one next? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So I know you're out in the field doing the community work, but you also have a practice. How do you balance that? Um, How do you balance the two? 
Yeah, it's taken a minute to figure out. Um, but I, so I do the groups, the nursing facility groups, working the hospice one day a week. And then I do private practice three days a week. And I've found that I can only see 12 to 15 max to feel okay and not feel too stressed <laughs> and feel sane. And like, I have enough time to prepare and really think about everybody. Um, and then I kind of reserve up Fridays for like my own therapy work and peer, peer support. And that's kind of how I've made my week work. And it, so far it's working really well. And it really, I kind of need both. Like I really like doing the individual work as well and integrating expressive arts with mm -hmm. EMDR and, and using a lot of psychodrama and working with very different populations than I do in the nursing facility. Um, and I find I kind of, I really, I couldn't probably sit in an office more than three days a week either. Like that would be a challenge for me. So having this balance right now kind of feels kind of perfect mm -hmm. for me, but it took a minute to figure out exactly where to put all the pieces and all those things. So um, the, the spice is the variety of my life. So I found that um, I don't think I could do private practice more than three days a week. I didn't even know that going in, but I discovered <laughs> it. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I got to, yeah, contract with my former employer one day a week. And then, so it just, it worked out, but um, I, yeah, I know for, for sure now I don't, I know people do private practice five days a week mm -hmm. um, and, and people see like, insane amounts of clients. And I just, I know I can't, I'm not that person. Yeah, that's okay. I, I agree. I'm not that person either. Like my, my caseload is small and I do a lot of like, uh, colleague supervision, right. Some supervision work. I also do some contracted groups in the community. Um, and I agree, like, I like that movement right? It keeps, it keeps it challenging. It keeps things interesting and it prevents that. I love a routine, but having that routine day in, day out, if it gets boring, then, oh, that's not good for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good for your soul. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that there's something about, um, you know, being a creative person that we are drawn to um, a lot of diversity in what we're doing. Um, yeah. yeah, to sit and do like office work all day, every day, ugh, that would be way too hard. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah, and I also try to throw in a little bit of my own work now. I kind of my own, you know, performance art, artwork, personal process. And sometimes that's collaborative at other times it's not. Um, and, uh, working on or starting a new performance art project. I, my sister just gave me back this amazing Barbie apartment that we used to have. It's like this little oh. cube thing that folds out and it's got like a, the Murphy bed that folds down. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm playing around with some stop motion animation and floor projections. Um, it's going to be called the worm and it's going to be in a, anyway, multi, multi-dimensional projection kind of, I do all this work with like pantomiming with projections moving and making things bigger and smaller and, um, yeah, creating an ex a surreal kind of experience through different modalities. Sounds incredible.
Yeah. So it's important to have that time for you too. Um, because being a performer <laughs> and helping others perform, that's a tremendous energy output. Um, that, you know, if you're just sitting and engaging one-on-one, -on -one, there's energy output, but when you're orchestrating a whole group and, and you're performing in that, that it's a whole performance in itself, what you're doing, that definitely takes a lot. And it makes sense that you. Yeah. I couldn't do it more than one day a week, actually, the way I do it right now, because you're right of the physical energy. Mm -hmm. And also I've already thought about adaptations as I get older, but I, you know, like right now I'm always, most of my group is in wheelchairs and I'm walking around, but I'm also like squatting a lot and kneeling. And I'm always, it's like, I'm engaging each one, one-on-one -on -one and the group and kind of going back and forth and checking in with people and going back and forth. So mm -hmm. it's, I am always drenched in sweat at the end. Plus I'm usually <laughs> wearing a wig and polyester costume. <laughs> Working <laughs> with sweat. So. Yeah. yeah, it is phys physically. It's physical. Yeah. Uh -huh. it's, yeah. So it's nice to have like that really fit. Not that it's not also emotional and everything else, but doing that is very different than sitting and doing EMDR with, with, you know, complex trauma. It's just, it's nice to be able to move back and forth. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I love the EMDR process, um, so much. And I only recently took the training to start doing it earlier this year, but um, I feel like I'm just going down a rabbit hole in just learning as much as I can. And there's so much to learn and there's so many ways of adapting it with the so creative many. process. So many with like using guitar for bilateral stimulate pluck drums, you know, just, yeah, doing an interweave with a little bit of a chi move. I, um, yeah, there's so many, actually, I would put a plug in for the, okay, I need to say this right. The, um, trauma-informed practices and expressive arts therapy Institute. So that's Kathy McLeodes center. And they're doing a lot of really cool. I'm actually in the middle of the training right now on, um, it's all EMDR phase two sensory integration. And it's like, Oh, phase two is like, can be, there's a million ways to do containment and not one can just one container. It's taught by Kathy McLeody and Elizabeth Warson. And anyway, they have a lot of really great way, um, kind of integrating EMDR and arts and really drilling down on all these different ways to expand different, mm -hmm. uh, the different phases and really, um, yeah, that it's much more complicated than it than sometimes people make it seem. <laughs> so. No, it sounds great. Um, I know lots of people are integrating like physical movement, you know, dance, dance, um, you know, movement with, uh, using the sand tray, um, in the sand. And uh, there's just, I feel like so many different applications. I, um, yeah, I saw a Dr. Jamie Marich for, she is Institute for creative mindfulness. She came to Kansas city a little while ago for an EMDR training and did a demo where the demo ended up in, inside the full EMDR eight phase, I guess seven, cause it wasn't no weight reevaluation, but, um, eight a uh, stand-up comedy routine was weaved into the EMDR and it was standard protocol, but integrating. Yeah. And it just happens spontaneously. My, my jaw is kind of dropping. <laughs> that sounds incredible. 
Yeah. And it just happened. I mean, it wasn't like a planned thing. Like we're going to show you how to do this. It was just, it just happened. So, um, cause it was like, yeah, I don't want to reveal too much more about it, but anyway, so that that's possible. You can do a standard protocol EMDR and, and weave in a, a stand-up comedy routine. Uh, that's it. That's so awesome. Yeah. The more, the more I learn, the more I want to learn. Um, it's just, it's such a, it's so effective one. And I love, I just love the aspect of the, the creativity, our own creativity that's doing all the work for us. Yeah. Like the imagery, you know, I've, I've received the MDR in training and I'm receiving it now, like integrated from an art therapist, EMDR person. And I, that's another big belief of mine is like, receive, receive, receive. You will learn so much more if you receive yes. the modality I'm receiving psychotherapy or not psychodrama too. And that's like by, by uh, someone that's uh, faculty at Hudson Valley psychodrama oh, institute yes. and uh, luckily she lives in kansas and so i just am so lucky so that has been like honestly just as big a part of my training as doing classes is doing it receiving from the other end mm -hmm. and yeah just these wonderful images that mm -hmm. can come um from doing that work that are so healing so so healing it's true that's how i got interested was i was doing it myself and I was like, I have to learn how to do this. And, um, and we got to a place and she's like, well, you know, you know, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I'm not, you're not getting rid of me that easy. Um, <laughs> no, I've got more, I've got more stuff to do. We just unpacked a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. I can, I love. I mean, I think it's so important to keep doing our own work because I can just, it helps me relate when, you know, clients are like, dang, I'm still here. And I'm like, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, hopefully it's not, I'm still here in the same place, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's not some, um, our inner healing work isn't just one and done. And it's not like once you've gone to graduate school for therapy that all of a sudden, like you've done all your work, right. <laughs> you don't need to do anymore. Yeah. Um, it's especially life, yeah, lifelong. Absolutely. Right. Like, like you were saying that whole like identity development piece that, okay, you've reached, you've reached, you know, your senior years, you're done growing. No way. There's, there's still so much work to do, even as we are getting older and are, we're still able to learn and and let go and release and integrate different things that perhaps in a different time of life, we weren't able to. It's yeah, it's ongoing. <laughs> I, I slipped the other day and I said, how did it feel? I kind of go, uh, my ending thing is kind of checking in with each person and saying like, how was it to be in this role and kind of de-rolling and what are you taking with you? And I modify that depending on the person. Um, and I said, what was it like to be a young dancer again? I don't know why I said again, but she was like, well, and she looked probably, she thinks she's in her nineties. She was like, well, I, I never was a young dancer. So it was, it was totally new. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, you're right. This is about new experiences. This is not about reliving the past. Like we're creating new memories and new experiences. We're bringing in stuff that we have from the past, but we're not stuck back there. Ah, oh, I love that.
That is so cool. So I know um, you were talking about you're going to be creating a workbook and a film. Can you share a little bit about where you are in progress for that and how that's coming along? Because I think that would be just a tremendous resource for the community, especially for folks that really do want to work with the aging population uh, using the expressive arts um, because there's not, there's not a tremendous amount of literature out there on that population. Yeah, there really isn't. Um, and yeah, given the stats, it just doesn't make sense. So, um, so my workbook, I've been, been working on it for about a year and a half and I've been kind of like essentially operationalizing each of my groups that I do based on the different movies and and shows so it'll be like people's court the musical and so um basically where I'm at and I'm going to self-publish um and um I'm kind of now working on more of the conceptual part which is like this this you know what is this new model of the creative generativity and um and incorporating digital and, and identity expansion so um that I would say it's probably a year out though honestly and um and then the film hopefully will be done sooner it's quite a process as mm-hmm. you can imagine to get permission oh, yeah. <laughs> so even you know when I was doing the day program where it was a much smaller group of people just kind of honestly even finding the right person to talk to on the board <laughs> took six months. So I'm in the middle of getting some consents and I have a local filmmaker that's going to do the the um, the actual shooting for me and then I'm going to edit it all and hope to get that out as soon as I can. But it's still, I would say that's another probably six months or so. Um, that's awesome. Because seeing is believing because you really need to see, I can explain it all I want and, but to be able, and there's, there's one video up there right now on Facebook of me doing dirty dancing the other week, but I really, you need to see the face and the expression and need what I'm seeing. So um excited to capture that here soon. And um, yeah, keep you all posted. I would say that that then becomes a resource for other people to, to say, why don't you check out um, Julia's film? on this topic yes. to see right. if this kind of work might work in this facility. I think it becomes, um, you know, a ripple effect for yeah, absolutely. practitioners and then the participants. Yeah. I mean, I could probably talk for 10 years, but you could probably see seeing a few minute video clip would probably be more effective. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah. understanding, I mean, that there, of course the explanation is important too, but I mean, seeing is believing. So um, to be able to see people come alive in this very visceral way is, um, is an important part of the work. Mm-hmm. Being able to capture that. I, I also think, and I'm certainly not suggesting, but maybe that um, it would be amazing for you to mentor other people that are wanting to do this work. 
that they, you've been doing it for so long. I'm sure you have techniques and approaches that help you get in there and get the clients to do things that other people are like, you're a magician. How did you do that? <laughs> yes, I would love to do that. And I'm always like encouraging the activities assistants I work with. I'm like, like the other day, one of them actually kind of took over and we were doing people's court for a minute. And I was like, this is exactly what I want them to do. I want them to take over and, you know, I can give them, I mean, they need guidelines and things like that, but like, it's kind of unrealistic that there's going to be enough REITs, you know, like, right. Enough, so like we, yeah, we need more people doing it. Um, so yeah, mentoring, if there's anyone else out there that's listening, that's like working, also working on a workbook or in a similar vein and wants to like barter editing or anything or, <laughs> or just share ideas. Like I'm all about just like, let's talk about our work and what you're doing, what I'm doing. And yeah. So supervision and all those things. I mean, I can do REIT supervision and, you know, LSCSW supervision. Um, and yeah, so I, I, there's more people. Yeah. I definitely need more people. I've done some teaching, but not, that's not really my main thing. So mm -hmm. I'll do, I'm hoping to present like conferences as I finish the film. So. Yes. I think that you need to present at the expressive therapy summit conference. I love, I, I, I love their summit. It's so good. It's mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. And the work that you're doing, it's like all, all the people that, you know, want to do that kind of stuff. That's where they're, they're going to be. It would yeah. be a perfect fit. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know I was already planning after our conversation to suggest that Barry reach out to you. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. But yeah, be, and it, gosh, once you have your film to like show other people what's possible, I think that yeah. would just, it just be and, fantastic. And I should say, I do have, I mean, like I don't have documentation of the work I'm doing at this moment. But I do have other work up online, like on, on my website, unicornsinthesnow.com and um, expressiveartstherapykc.com. That's more my clinical work. But I do have, um, you can get on there. I mean, you just Google my name, Julia Vera and green screen videos, and you'll see them on YouTube and, and see what I'm talking about with not the nerd, with a similar population, but more people that are still living in the community. So it's, um, mm -hmm. it's different. I mean, it's a different population slightly than what I'm doing now, but, um, but you can see, uh, you can see, oh, what have we <laughs> our renditions of Grease and, um, Footloose and, um, oh, I don't, uh, back to the future 2020 and all, you can, you can um, see that. So check it out. Check okay, out. I will. <laughs> I will definitely check it out and I'll put some links in the show notes to the videos. And, um, of course, unicorns in the snow and, um, and then your practice is expressive arts therapy, kc.com. If there's any parting wisdom that you could give to an up and coming 
expressive arts therapist who wants to work with the aging population, integrating, um, you know, creativity and drama and music, what would, what would you give them? What advice would you give them? I would say we have a great opportunity here and the risk of doing something new and trying something new and bringing in something new and what that might be is is um and what what could happen if we're trying to work in new ways is much lower than leaving things as they are we can't we can't so we need new work new ideas and some you know within limits some risk taking mm -hmm. as far as trying things and being willing to safely fail. We don't want our clients to fail, but it's okay if what we try doesn't totally work out the first time. Like it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As long as we're taking care of people and keeping people safe, like try, try something new because we really need some novelty in, in this area. Yeah. Totally. There's space for you. There's space for you. There's plenty of work to do here. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank it's, you for all you do. It's been a joy to talk to you and to see how um, your face light up with all the passion that you have for the work that you do, which is really important. Thank you so much, Raina. Keep up all your good work too, bringing us all together. Thank you. I'm planning on it. Um, <laughs> there are times where I'm like, I don't know if I have the energy to do this podcast anymore. But then I'm like, nope, I took a break. I took a nice long break in the summer. And now I'm like, I'm, it's been so rejuvenating talking mm -hmm. with people this week. Cause this is the first week I'm recording mm -hmm. again. And, um, and I just learned so much from all the people like yourself that I talk to. And, um, I think it helps me to be a better therapist at what I do mm -hmm. by having these conversations. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the creative psychotherapist podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, uh, with Julia and myself. Um, I, again, I just am so inspired by the work that she's doing. And I think that it holds great potential for future growth. I know where I'm at, um, it is in such need, diverse, um, diverse programming that really meets the psychodevelopmental needs of the aging population is, um, it, 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 there's a deficit in this area, even though there are so many facilities. So I just loved uh, our conversation and I really look forward to seeing um, what else she does and uh, her contributions, uh, the film that she's creating about the work that she's been doing and the workbook to help other people go out and do similar types of programming in their area and locale. Um, Anyway, if you enjoyed this conversation and the other conversations that you hear on the show, we would greatly appreciate, and I use the term we because it's not just me, even though I'm the host, uh, there are other people that help 
make this show possible, that I couldn't do it without them. And so I used the, the term we. Um, we would really appreciate if you would rate, subscribe, um, provide feedback or review so other people can find us too. All right. Have a creative rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.